Hi there. Welcome to Creation Station Monthly. This is our monthly show where we talk to two creative people who have never met each other and have them give us a discussion about what makes them creative, what fires their instincts up, and how did they get into the position they're in. This month, we're talking gardening. And if you're not in South Florida, you're like, Bob, what in the heck are you doing? I don't can't do gardening in January. And that is what we want to do. We want to get you get you fired up for those kinds of ideas. I've got Noah Siegel and Clayton Birch with me today. Noah, get us started. Tell us what give me the nutshell of who you are and what what's what is gardening all about for you? Hello everyone. I'm Noah Siegel. I am a farmer at the fruitful field garden in Deerfield Beach. Um, I use what's called regenerative organic agricultural methods in farming. So it's a way to regenerate soil and create an abundance of food. I've been farming since I was 18 years old. Um, and I love it. I love growing food and I love feeding people. Clayton, you follow up on that and then I've already got a question for you guys. Tell us, Clayton. My name is Clayton Birch. Uh, I live in Davie. Uh, I've been gardening for a long time, ever since I was about uh, 14 years old, uh, probably back in 1987. Uh, I started Showcase Gardens in 1996 after working for several people in the industry. I went to University of Florida to get my degree in landscape horticulture and environmental uh, science. And today, I'm just basically going over everything, uh, I guess, in my career uh, as far as designing. Uh, we design pools. We design landscapes. We do every uh, everything as far as maintenance is concerned. Uh, we do uh, some pest management, and we also do some, uh, uh, some I guess, uh, basic troubleshooting. If you have anything, any problems on the job, I can kind of come and figure out exactly what needs to be done or if you have any something that has kind of any weird thing that nobody can figure yeah. out, just call me up and I can usually figure it out for you. That is an awesome, awesome idea. So now I want to get right into because you both already mentioned gardening and farming and landscaping. So Noah, give me your description of what is the difference between a garden and a farm. And then Clayton, I want you to follow up with how that changes the landscaping and how all three of those things tie together for people. Um, personally, I, I think I have, a, I have an interesting perspective on, on the differences. Um, to me, farming and gardening and landscaping are kind of all one and the same. We're all kind of witnessing the growth of plants and, you know, facilitating growth in, 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 a, in a different way. In, in gardening, usually it's on a smaller scale. So um, at a home or a community garden and farming is usually on a larger scale. So pr uh, high production yields of food. Um, but both of them are using similar methods. And I'm, I'm sure landscaping has, you know, we're growing plants. So has similar methods as well. So now Clayton, how do you, th how does that fit into your idea that when you're talking about doing landscaping, how do you incorporate like gardening versus landscaping? Well, I'll agree with uh, gardening with, with Noah is it is more of on a smaller scale than farming. Uh, landscaping is a little bit different. There's all different types of conditions that we have to deal with uh, in the urban landscape. As far as builders and how they develop homes, there's usually different conditions for every house. And we have to 
know our species to make sure that we uh, adopt the right ones for your conditions. Now, and Noah, I know you have some community gardens out there as well as part of the fruitful farm area. So how do those people work out there for those kind of garden things? Are they using the same materials that you're using out there or what are they doing with that? So our community plot section is a little bit different. They're raised bed gardens. Um, so they're raised off the ground and it's a, it's a little bit more controlled and there are 10 by 10 foot gardens and they're allowed to grow whatever they like trees. We limit it. We can grow trees in your plot. Um, vegetables and, and smaller fruit trees, you can grow apples and things like that. And then on the, on the other side of the farm is like a food forest. So we have kind of edible landscaping with fruit trees and then um, traditional like agricultural row crops. So we're growing right, right in the ground. So the community plot members use raised beds and the rest of the farm uses traditional row cropping and fruit trees. That's cool. So Clayton, could it, could that edible landscaping there sounds like right up your alley too. Can you do that just like in any, admittedly for everybody out there listening, this is South Florida. So yeah, we can just put a lemon tree or a lime tree in the backyard or mangoes or whatever we want. But I'm certain there's ideas like that for just about everywhere in the country, right? Absolutely. You can grow different kinds of things. If you want to consume something, we'll pick the right species for you. And depending on where you live and uh, you know what type of the, what type of crops you want to grow depends on what type of or what time of year that you want to have your um, crops grown. Uh, but as far as what what uh, Noah's what Noah's doing, he's a little bit more adept than or adept at uh, getting everything ready for you as far as uh, consuming foods. Primarily, oh. my my landscaping is not really about um, anything edible. It is more uh, just enhancing what you have as far as your property. Yeah. One of the things I found out about you, Clayton, is like you're a very anti-grass person, aren't you? Well, you know, grass is one of those things that uh, it consumes a, an excessive amount of water. And when you have homes that do not have wells and they have water that's being uh, um, bought essentially from the city, uh, the water bill can get quite high if you've got a lot of grass. So we, we, we try to do a lot of xeriscaping and a lot of different plants that uh, allow you to not consume so much water throughout the Ex year. Explain that term xeriscaping for people out there who may not have heard about that. Xeriscape is a concept of using uh, plants that do not require large amounts of water for your landscaping. And there's also uses of mulches and soil amendments that go along with that to help reduce your water consumption. Okay. Okay. So now let's get dig back a little bit because both of you said teenagers or earlier when you started on these careers here. Hey, Clayton, you go first and then Noah, follow up on them. Tell, compare your two paths as you were getting started. Was it both down here in South Florida? How did starting off that young just makes me feel like your dad kicked you out in the back and said, here, go mow the lawn and go take care of it or something like that. Fill me in. What happened there? Well, you know, uh, young men, they like to get dirty. And uh, so it starts with the dirt. Once you get a little bit dirty and get some dirt under your fingernails, you start looking around and realize what you're digging around. And, and there's some beautiful trees and you start really getting interested in certain species, you know, right 
right away and you know you'll lock on to one species and it'll be your favorite for a while and then you get onto another one and it just kind of rolls on from there you know no one really ever said anything that you should do this or do that we just kind of went into it and just fell in love with the plants how about you noah um similar experience i i went on a trip to thailand when i was 18 and while i was there our mission was to um there was a schoolhouse that was high in the villages of, of chiang mai mountains and the school children had to travel um during the weekend to the schoolhouse and then for the five days of school they had to live on 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 the property of the schoolhouse and then on the weekends they would travel back home and during that time high in the mountains they didn't have access to a lot of fresh produce and um, fruit and vegetables. So it was our mission to create what's called a permaculture plot, which is a big word for basically a sustainable food system. And we made this permaculture plot for them. And uh, we, we saw I saw the impact of growing what it could have on a community. And um, from then on, it kind of just it was it's something i had to do Fe feeding people was, was like a nate to me at that point clayton you t uh tell me where did you get your you kind of you kind of got into the whole building plants thing but then where'd you get into the whole landscaping where, where did you start feeling did you go to take some classes or did you just build it on your own or what well i i, I was an artist and i was going to go to art school for a while and you know when you're when you do landscaping it's like the ultimate art because yeah. you're you are working in 3d and everything is constantly changing and growing and so when you're designing a landscape or designing a garden you really have to more or less look into the future of how it's going to look in in the coming months or the coming years rather than how it looks now i see a lot of gardens that are put in and you know it can look pretty right away you know, but if it's not going to be functional, that's where the real art of landscaping and gardening comes in. If you can make it functional and make it look good in the future, that's the real key. Yeah. And so tell us about how you both started, because you've, you've got a good start on, you know, why you've done it. But tell us about that, why you're, ex how you feel expressive in this particular thing you know like a painter as you said you know you're doing this art and and you've got something to show landscaping gardening you've it's it's very vibrant right at the moment but then it goes away and you got to rebuild or redo um fill, fill us in on how you how do you get a chance to be expressive and how could somebody who's out there who's like well wait a minute if i can be a landscaper how would they get started with all this kind of stuff or getting out there and building a farm or a garden what do you think well, if, if, if you want to build a garden, you know, it's easy to build a garden, but if you want to do some landscaping, I would suggest working for someone who does some landscaping. And that's exactly what I did. When I was, when I was young, some of my first jobs were working for landscapers. And then I realized that, you know, I was semi-decent at it and that you can make some money until you learn a little tips of, you know, most of the time when you go to a garden center, a lot of it is what I call buy and die. And it is set up for you to to buy some plants, for you to bring them home, for them to not do so well, and then for you to purchase some more. 
And so when you start to learn the species and learn which ones that are the ones that work, then those are the ones you take to the design and that's the ones you put into the client's home. And that's the ones that usually work out and you can make a good career by doing that, that little method. How about it? No, how do you, how do you build up a career in this? Well, it's, it's, it's the same exact way in, 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 uh, in landscaping actually with, with farming and gardening. Um, I'm not going to, you know, grow like iceberg lettuce in South Florida. Um, that doesn't make any sense. It won't grow well. So, and, and, and when you go to like, um, Home Depot, for example, and you, not a lot of those seedlings that you buy, the vegetable seedlings aren't suited for our climate. Um, so there's a lot of people that, that, you know, buy a seedling and put it in their home garden and they get, you know, upset and discouraged and say, I don't have a green thumb. And I, I never really believe in that notion. Um, it's, it's all about variety. So I grow a lot of Asian greens and uh, Asian crops because we have similar climates to like South Asia. We're a high humid environment. And um, so, yeah, I, how I got into it was I just was really passionate. I was like, I, I want to start doing this myself. So I had a home garden and I just experimented. I was like, oh, this crop didn't work. I'm learning. I'm, I'm going to try this crop. And then I you know, slowly started to figure things out. And um, at the fruitful field uh, was another, you know, step up the ladder and learning because I just opened my eyes up to, oh, this is like full production and we're growing lots of um, different varieties, things I've never heard of, fruit trees I've never heard of, fruit I've never heard of, vegetables I've never heard of, things you can't buy at the store. And it, that got me deeper and deeper, deeper down the hole and um, got me passionate about exposing that to people. You know, at the fruitful field, we grow probably 99% of the things we grow, you cannot buy at the grocery store. And I hand oh. like a, this to, to somebody and they're like, what is this? And it kind of gets them curious. Like, well, this is called Tokyo Bacana, for example. It's you can't buy it at the store. It doesn't look like anything you could buy at the store. Never but heard cook, of. Yeah, cook it. Cook it. What is that? Wood. It's it's a a cross between a lettuce and a cabbage. It was actually the first plant grown in space, Tokyo Bacana, and oh. it grows like a weed in Florida. It's a great edible crop, super fast, but. We've never heard of it. So I give it to these people and like cook it like you would spinach. And they cook it like, wow, this is amazing. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. So you can grow this at, at your home and try it yourself, you know. That is a really cool idea. That's really fun. And, and so when you guys are both talking about climate, so you, you casually mentioned like climate zone or what goes down here in South Florida. I wanted to get two inputs on that. One, my first thought is always urban versus suburban versus rural zones. Like what can you do in any of these particular areas? Um, and then down here, I think we're zone 10 is if I understand from looking over my wife's shoulder as she does things, South Florida is zone 10. So what are some of these zones that people out there around the rest of the country when they listen to this are going to be finding? And what's those differences that you guys found in your own thing you mentioned earlier about certain things won't grow down here. Well, as far as landscaping, um, my specialty is in zones nine and 10. Um, but I will give you a nice example. Uh, whenever I see a new mall or a new shopping center, I love to go look at the brand new landscaping because I can really see how they designed it 
and who designed it and actually where they're from by the design because there's a lot of plants that are in there that are you know northern florida plants southern georgia type plants and they're planted down here in south florida and they look good in the meantime on the primary planting but as time goes on they'll start to deteriorate because it's a little too hot or the climate isn't just well suited for them or they need a little bit of cool weather to keep going for for the rest of their lifetime so right now when you see a, a, a new shopping center when i go look at it i can tell if the landscape architect or the or the designer was from jacksonville georgia orlando or miami usually that's, that's expert level there if you if you see something from miami or a miami designer they have a lot of tropical stuff and they know the palette that's down here and they know it very well and they can they'll design with that but you most of the time when you have a big property and it's being developed you know most of the landscape architects the the design goes out for a bid and whoever gets that bid is the one who designs it and so usually if it's someone from up north you can tell by the choice of plants that they use for their design tell me about that noah and and fill us in a little bit more Clayton here's got an eye to be how wide are these bands of zones nine, 10 central and Northern Florida, different to Southern Flo South Florida down here where we are. How, how wide are these bands and how, how you guys are both experts now at, at knowing this, but for the average person, would they, do they really need to pay that much attention? Um, so basically um, every the, the zones work by, um, you, if you look up grow zones in my area, it can change from city to city. It can change from county to county, uh, depending on where you are in the world. Um, for us, for growers, um, it matters a lot because we, and especially in South Florida, we don't have a frost. So if I was in, you know, Texas, for example, um, like central Texas, there's a frost that happens. So I'm not going to be able to grow certain crops while it's snowing or when it's below freezing. Um, but in Florida and South Florida, I mean, even in Northern Florida, there can be frost and it can get, it can get below 32 degrees. So even in the state of Florida, there's a big differential between um, grow zones and where, where you are. So really that's uh, where you are, where you're located. Yeah. There's a, there's an example. Um, so yeah, I, I, the reason I asked, as you guys were talking about this, I, I was bringing this up, and I'm like, uh, this thing has a lot more than just 1 through 10. This thing's really finely gradiated. And Clayton's just like, oh, yeah, I know that particular thing from just from looking at plants where a person came from. You guys are definitely way, way experts over what I can do. Now, there are, there are a bit of microclimate is what we call them in different areas where uh like where i am in broward county um just just with the last uh bit of cold snap that we had everything near the coast was fine we had no damage whatsoever some of more inland areas uh the western suburbs we had a bit of frost and you know it it's kind of a spotty thing it's not on every species in that neighborhood it, in particular, if you took the same species and throughout that neighborhood, they're not all going to be damaged. Okay. Some houses are going to have more damage. Some houses are going to have less damage, even with the same species in the same neighborhood. And going back to the earlier part about 
urban versus suburban because i mean at least down here in south florida i don't think we really have rural areas down here in south florida like we do in central or northern florida at least um but that, does that matter for if you're going to be out there gardening does it matter whether you're in a densely urban area as long as you've got noah you had mentioned raised plot raised bed gardening does that i'm just guessing that that's just keeping it as a tighter container type area yeah raised raised beds are are more um structured and confined to a particular spot rather than just letting things go free and most communities allow you to have a raised bed in your backyard um and uh have fruit trees in florida it's pretty, pretty uh, common. Uh, people don't let you have i just can't imagine that now Wait, I, that did not occur to me like i could not have something like a tree in my backyard. i've got like eight trees in my yard in coral springs uh, I can't imagine not having trees. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, some uh, cities and HOAs or whatever allow it, and then, then some don't. So you just got to work work within what you what, where you're living. Um, but yeah, raised beds are more controlled, and um, it's it's more controlled in the fact that you're you're adding the soil that you can purchase or create. So you're creating the best soil that you can, rather than. Uh, me when I'm farming in the in the in the ground in the Florida sandy soil, I have to I've had to amend it with compost and chicken. Tell manure. people what amend means. Amend means to try and and make better. Okay. Um, so the, we have very sandy soil in South Florida that doesn't host a lot of um, fungi and hosts a lot of bacteria. And then also doesn't allow for nutrients to be held for a long period of time because it's sandy and rain and water will just kind of wash it through. So what my goal is, is we have sandy soil. I'm trying to create sandy loam soil. So loam is where you add organic matter to soil. And uh, if you like go into a forest and you grow into a tree and you grab like a handful of this like dark black stuff, that's all loamy soil. That's what we want. So my, my mission when I'm growing um, in Florida soil is to make more loamy soil, add compost, add chicken manure, add um, cow manure, things like that to make more loamy uh, soil that's suitable for crops to grow. Okay. And Clayton, I'm guessing that's very similar to what you're doing when you're out there with landscaping beds and such. Absolutely. If you don't amend the soil, your, your, your species is pretty much cut in half. Okay. You, like, Bob, you, you mentioned that you live in Coral Springs. Now, normally, if we go into a, a landscape and we use the particular soil that's there, there's quite a few species that will grow great. And other than that, when you introduce some new species, we have a lot of soil organisms that are not really uh, good for most of the landscaping plants. And then also um, developed land, which is in the suburbs, is usually... Um, lakes that are blasted out and dug out and then they have limestone put under the houses and so usually when you go dig it's it's all rock so yeah. when we have definitely a, that in my backyard yeah oh i can only imagine i've been in plenty of landscapes in coral springs you do have to amend the soil what we do recommend is when we when we put something in we add soil on top of the existing soil and then as we put the trees and the plants in what we're doing is we are incorporating an organic material soil 
in with the um, soil that you have in the neighborhood. And it, and it makes a nice mix and it allows the nutrients to stick around for a little bit longer and the plants do a lot better. Gotcha. And so here's the, we're at the part of the show where I always ask this question about what, and this might be interesting for you, for you two here. What do you think is the biggest failure that you've done? Cause you guys get really good successes and for you to see success, I mean, you've got it right there growing in front of you and, and it's easy to see when you're talking about your projects, about what you're working on, what's that failure that you're like, man, I wish I would have done that different. For me, it would be about the client because if we, we be able to do any of these landscapes and, and make any money and do these wonderful projects if it wasn't for the client wanting to do something like this. Okay. And so there's a bit of, there's a bit of having to do what the client wants and you're also relying on your expertise to guide the client into what is going to be best for them. So those two can come together and make something great. And you always have the one client that can be difficult that wants A, B, and C that you just know won't work. But you're going to have to take care of the client and give them what they want. And so that's what we do. And we try to steer them a certain way to make sure that we're successful in the end. And that we get many customers beyond this particular yeah. project. And so we're just going to try to keep on going. So it's basically you try to educate the customer on, on the different things. And, and that's about it. And hopefully uh, it all works out in the end. Tell us, Noah, what do you think? What's the biggest failure that you've had to overcome? Um, so we're, we're con I'm constantly learning as I, as I progress in, in growing food. Um, Initially, when I first started out, we were designing a certain portion of, of a garden and we, and it's common to use, um, kind of a, a weed barrier that goes underneath where you're putting the soil on. And, and that's, that's a pretty common practice still, but in terms of how I garden and how I, I grow, um, that's just created more and more problems down the line and I eventually had to just rip up you know like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet of landscape fabric that was underneath the ground because I was restricting um, root root growth in the, in the in the ground so that's something I, I learned it was a great valuable lesson for me um, but it, it was it was a failure but I learned a lot about yeah about to do that <laughs> yeah I know and that's that's exactly how yeah but you never know until you you've you, you hit that button and then it's like can you go backwards to go uh to go make those corrections or figure out so tell me where did you i mean when you were getting started who was the big influence for you and and what what did they do to help you get where you are because neither of you went to school for this I know there are courses out there that you can take. There's lots of gardening and, and stuff at the community colleges and, and high school and after, you know, those sorts of things that you can take. The library offers a lot of those courses too online. But what did you guys get out of those mentors that you started with? And who was, who were those people that really got you going? Uh, for me, it was uh, David McLean, the, the late David McLean. He, uh, 
he knew uh, just about every species of plant that was down here. Um, he was a real good troubleshooter. He was a guy that um, he learned everything the hard way, and he knew everything about um, about plants and about species and about problems on properties and different landscapes. You know that people just couldn't solve. And uh, I remember taking a Xeriscape course with him when I was really young, and um, I was fortunate enough to take some classes at uh, Broward College with him as well. Um, and his ID courses were phenomenal. And he had these cue cards or these index cards that had every condition and everything that you could use each one of these species for, um, you know, a vine, a bush, a, a, you know, privacy, a hedge. He had everything listed so that you could take each one of these species and adapt it to each one of these conditions. And it's kind of, it's, it's the way I've really conducted the, the way I learn about plants you know, going forward into the future. He just had it already mapped out for me and, and I'm just still doing that today. How about you, Noah? So um, a man named Tyler Whiffley, he introduced me to permaculture while I was in Thailand and he kind of just exploded my mind with how we can utilize fruits and vegetables in a certain way to be super sustainable. For example, um, we were designing this garden on a slope and he was like, we're, we're going to use these banana trees to control the flow of the water because bananas, they grow from a corm, this big thing under the ground and they can absorb a lot of water. So it was like to, to prevent flooding and water from going where we don't, we're going to use these banana trees in a way, instead of, you know, digging these troughs, we use banana, banana pups. So the, he had methods like that, just method after method after method about sustainability and, and growing that kind of just like, it just felt right with me. It was just like so innate to my, to my being. It was like, this is what I need to do. And actually I, I am, I am educated in this. I have a master's of science in oh, organic okay. That is, that is awesome. No, so, th and that was lead, that leads me to my th next thing then. That's, that's really awesome. I didn't know, did not know that. Thank you, Noah. It, it, for going to school on this, I mean, Obviously, to do a small local backyard garden, you don't need to go to school for. But tell us about that whole process of going through schooling and those sorts of things. What's the difference in between that as a backyard gardener slash community farmer versus going the full degree route? You've got a master's. My degree course is geared towards regenerative agriculture, which is basically taking land that's been conventionally grown and kind of abused and turning it back into like a thriving soil setting. So it's 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 a, a lot of education and a lot of knowledge on um, soil science and understanding how um, the soil works and how to benefit it. And then regenerative is like, how do you regenerate this degraded soil while well, you use cover cropping and composting and nitrogen fixing plants and things like that, um, which are all great things for, for, for everyone to know and understand. Um, but my, my, uh, my degree kind of just focused in on, um, it went deeper and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of, of soil gotcha. and carbon sequestration and cation exchange and all these terms that, that mean something, yeah. um, but not necessary at all. It's, uh, you know, nature, 
teaches oh, I, I think they're pretty necessary. I think you're one of the people who's going to help us survive this as the uh, as South Florida starts, you know, adding water and doing that kind of stuff. That's what I actually want to go with, especially on the landscaping side of things, Clayton. I mean, I know crops are really sensitive to water. And Clayton, you were talking about planting for the correct soils. How are we adjusting? I mean, everybody knows South Florida is right in the middle of climate change. How are we adjusting? What's What are people going to have to be changing and doing for this as you're building a landscape that's supposed to last for decades? Well, I know it's really bringing me back with the cation exchange. It's, I haven't heard some of these terms in a long time. From University of Florida, it was a lot of fun. Um, but as far as climate change is going on right now, um, I would say it's more... Um, I'm having issues that I see with heat-related issues on plants rather than flooding issues. I haven't really come across anything where we're having problems with uh, water inundation. Um, okay. a, lot of, a lot of the plants that we've had, uh, flooding events, hurricanes, storms, um, these different scenarios, the plants seem to recover quite well. You know, they can get flooded. A few of the ground covers, um, things that have a little bit more, um, um, you know, smaller stature where they're completely um, covered over by the water, where the leaves are completely covered, um, that can be a problem. Uh, usually if a flooded root system is, you know, it's not, they, they bounce back from that. The only issues that I see right now would be, um, heat-related issues. So we're having uh, certain species where I don't think I've had these problems before, but I'm starting to see some heat-related issues such as the sun scald or different uh, areas of plants where we're having issues of uh, high drought, even though that the plant has, or it seems to be high drought from what I can tell looking at the leaves. However, the soil is moist. So it's more of a heat-related uh, issues that I'm coming across. And no, I know from being here in South Florida, I know Deerfield Beach up near your area. There, I know their wells are dealing with saltwater intrusion, right up there. How does that affect where you're farming? I'm guessing that that changes the crops you have to plant, or can you plant crops with a salt type stuff? My my goal in in farming in the way that I do is to have to water less and less and less over time. So naturally soil that's good. Um, you won't really need to worry about watering. It'll, it'll hold water well. And then with the amount of rain we get in Florida and South Florida specifically, um, watering shouldn't be something that we have to worry about because we can collect rain and use rainwater to water. So, you know, well, saltwater intrusion is, you know, a potential problem in the future. So, but we have access to, to water in many different forms. Rain is a perfect form. Rain collection is super easy and it's some of the best water that you can ever use. It's, it's hard to get better than rainwater. Um, and, it, and the plants love it. You can just kind of tell after a, a nice rain, all the, all the crops are looking at you so happy rather than uh, right before. Uh, there's just something about it. And um, so, you know, looking at methods like rain collection and, you know, making the soil better, having um, 
perennial strips of like fruit trees within your your growing to create some some protection, some shade protection, some barriers. There's there's lots. You're of gonna ways. make a lot of people up north jealous on this one. Yeah, we just casually <laughs> plant oranges and lemons and limes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grow in South Florida. Uh, so I want to hear from you guys. What do you think the rest of society thinks about what you're doing and how about the profession and, and the whole concept of just gardening? Because it, as I almost just like casually just was like, oh, well, nobody gets a degree in this. And then, bam, you guys are both like, oh, no, we took these college courses and we did this, at, this, at the other. So Phil, straighten me out here. Tell, tell me, you know, what's what do you think, in your opinion, other people are thinking versus what you living in the industry and the idea believe. You know, I, you know, I can take an example just from my family. Um, there's uh, I have two nieces. One of them doesn't care about plants. One of them loves plants. And it all starts with, you know, you have a little plant. And if you've ever make it, made a cutting from any small plant or herbaceous material where you stick something in water and it grows roots, and they see that it grows and that you can actually make more plants. And then they start replicating this little experiment, this small little experiment. Uh, you, you'll get the bug. And once you get the bug, it's you just kind of really spiral into, into the green world of growing plants. And you just can't stop. How about it, Noah? What do you think people think about when, when they come out? Do they think you guys is just happy farmer. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to picture how, cause I, I, when I grew, I lived up in the Midwest growing up and we had farms and I knew farmers who would just go out there every day and, and do their stuff. And yeah, it, 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 you're making me rethink my own words from just 10 minutes ago. Now I'm like, man, yeah. Hey, people are really out there doing science on this. Yeah. So I, there's a couple things. Um, unfortunately, farming right now i mean less than two percent of our world's population grows all of our food um so that number is a, a pretty a pretty harsh number usually we start we the we start getting afraid when the, the number drops below 49 percent of our population but we're below two percent so there's not a lot of farmers there's not a lot of young farmers either um most of them are, are older and are about to retire so we need we need young farmers uh that, that care about creating good food for people and sustainable system. And I think some, the, the misconceptions that I always find people assert is about them having a green thumb or not having a green thumb. And I, that's something that I'm very passionate about. And I want to demystify, um, growing food is like innate to us. We've been growing food since we've been people on this earth and we've been cultivating and harvesting vegetables for a very, very long time. So there's not a green thumb or not a, or, or a black thumb. You, everyone has the, the equal opportunity to be able to grow plants and to be able to feed themselves. There's just knowledge that, we, that we've kind of pushed away from. Uh, very few people in the world know how to grow their own food. It's not something that, that is impossible. It's just a skill that, that's learned. It's a knowledge thing. Um, and once you have the knowledge, then you're set and you understand it. Not a bad idea. I like that. I like the idea that I, everybody has an opportunity to, yeah, 
I think that, um, Clayton, you mentioned earlier you were talking about uh, cards and, and index cards and doing it, and I was just like, um, I'm betting there's an app out there where I can just take a picture or scan something and it'll fill me in on those things nowadays. You know, I've looked at a lot of apps and I've tried to uh, analyze them, but I, you know, I did none of them have really ever gotten it right. Okay. Like I said, each uh, each community has got a, 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 a slight microclimate of what you're going to be successful with. Um, uh, Noah Noah is probably a little bit more. Um, he's got a little bit more amended soil with some uh, raised beds. But from what I normally do, it can it, the soil and conditions can vary greatly from neighborhood to neighborhood. So one person can have a successful uh, crop with uh, one particular species. The next neighborhood over, the guy could be doing the same thing, and it just doesn't work out right. It's um, what you what you have to do is you have to just be able to adapt, just like plants adapt figure out what is the better condition that is going to make that plant successful and that's the challenge of it and that's that's why we're in the in the game because we love the challenge of it and some people just give up after you know something doesn't work out you know go buy a different species try that one out and you'll probably be successful so just like noah said you know the the green thumb concept is you know it's it's kind of it's a myth you know, it's if you have success with certain plants right off the bat, hey, you'll probably get into it a little bit quicker than the guy who didn't have success in the beginning. And I want to follow up with that because this is the question we ask everybody because we do a lot of gadgets. We do a lot of tech stuff, obviously, here with Creation Station. What's the piece of equipment you really wish you had that you don't <laughs> i mean and i want you to tell us about your your everyday equipment that you use because especially as it compares to like regular gardening or a home person doing landscaping versus you as a professionals doing this kind of stuff is that type of gear really different well there is one one gadget that i learned a long time ago and it's not something that i use every day but it's an infrared heat gun. And like my cooking, taught, someone taught me this a long time ago and it's, it's a laser and you can point it at something and it'll, yeah. it'll show the temperature. And, um, I've got that for my pizza oven. You're saying I should be <laughs> using that in my garden. I've learned this guy. I've learned this from this guy, Joel. We were planting, I don't know. I think we planted about 40 or so oak trees and to figure out which one is lowest on the water or which one needs water, he would just drive on the golf cart and point that laser to each tree. And each one of them had a very consistent uh, temperature. Then there was a couple that were all off. And those were the ones that were the ones that were going to fail because they weren't getting enough water. Huh. So it was, it was, uh, that just blew my mind. Yeah. So that was, I would have never dreamed that I had infrared thermometer was coming up in a gardening show. Never. Tell me, tell me, Noah, what's going on there? What kind of gear are you guys using? Um, we we use mostly hand tools and um, wheelbarrows and rakes and shovels. I, I I really like to use primitive style tools. It connects you more with the earth, and you're more accurate, and you can see things, and you're more observant. Uh, a, a wish list thing that I've always wanted is there's this tool. 
um, for harvesting salad mix. So salad mix, how, how it grows, you grow it in, in these wide bands on the on the, on the, across the ground. And you, when you harvest it, you have to meticulously get on your hands and knees and, and carve with a knife about an inch above the, the plant all the way down. And it takes a really long time. It's really, really tedious um, to get this nice salad mix, but there's this machine that you can buy that you can just drive over the row and it chops it. And then there's like a conveyor belt that brings it into a basket. So you can just like push it over the salad mix and it chops it like a lawnmower does mm -hmm. as a conveyor belt. That, that would be so nice to have. <laughs> I'm just thinking of adding the robot to that and let it just go out there and harvest for you is a, because it was somebody who asked me, well, Bob, how are you going to do gardening and technology? And I'm like, do you know who the number one AI company is in America right now? It's John Deere because their tractors are so advanced nowadays of detecting soil levels and moisture and all these things. And I know that that's not something that's in a garden type setting because those are you know, three quarter of a million dollar vehicles out there. Um, what kind of, what kind of stuff is, are you guys using though different, I mean, hand tools, like you said, no, anybody can get those. Everybody can be using those. Clayton, are you using the same kind of basic materials that everybody could just go buy at their big box store? Or is there something specialized that you graduate up to when you're doing full scale landscaping service? Um, I'll agree with no, I'm using a lot of hand tools. Um, hand tools are, you know, it's the standard for gardening. They haven't really come up with a, a, a gardener robot yet. So we're still using the wheelbarrows. We're still using the shovels. And it really is, you you know, when you're a gardener and you're going to be good at this profession or just a good gardener in general, it's all about hands-on. And you're going to have to see exactly what the soil is and you're going to see how the plants are and you're going to start noticing these different things and... That's why some people, just like Noah, are good at what they do because they're observant and they see exactly what's going on. And, you know, you can replicate things based on years past, uh, you know, failures and successes. And But it all comes down to simple garden tools. There's really no, uh, no big tool that's going to help you with success in gardening, mostly just your eyes. What I'm hearing you hearing both of you say without saying it is, I need to keep a diary. <laughs> I have to know exactly what I planted, when, where, how it did last year, how much that da, 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 da. Okay. Okay, then I got this thing. Hmm. It's not, it's, it does sound a lot more different, a little bit different than I had envisioned at the very beginning, too, of thinking about what are you going to do for gardening because it's a little bit more chemistry and it's a little bit more of everything for and everybody. And like you said, Clayton, you, you guys both can do this. Anyone can do this at home, but then you can, you've both built full careers out of this. It's not something for everybody, you know, as far as the career is concerned, you know, but as far as gardening, I think it is for everybody. You know, it's, it's something that you should at least do once in your life. You know, if you've got a plot of land or you've got a backyard, it's there for you to enjoy. You know, you don't have to grow just grass. You don't have to go buy the lawnmower and just mow your lawn every weekend. You know, you can have some variety, be creative, do something else. You know, watch a few uh, gardening programs, get inspired, get some books, you know, see what there's you a whole YouTube culture. Yeah. 
amazing, you know, and with the internet and YouTube now, I wouldn't recommend everything on YouTube because a lot of it is a little bit of a BS, but you know, you got to just go for it and what works works and what doesn't doesn't work and you try the next thing. And if it works out, then you're going to be a successful gardener. Take us out there, Noah. Um, I recommend a book actually. Uh, there's a book called The One Straw Revolution. That's a really short read. Um, One just, Straw it, Revolution? Yeah, One Straw Revolution. It chronicles okay. a man and his journey to learning how to grow his own food. And it's just, it's very short. You could read it in a couple hours. Um, and I just recommend that book to, to people that, just to anyone to read, to kind of understand what, what we're doing here, um, what farming's about, and and how it's it's something that's trial and error and nature is the greatest teacher i always say um you can learn nature will teach you everything if if you plant something in the ground and it dies well it nature told you that won't grow there so let's try something else until something you plant in the ground and grows it grows amazing you're like okay i'm starting to learn i'm starting to learn just being observant um so there there are lots of lots of lots of um videos and books that you can read but i always say experience is is the best is the best way to learn you know just just try it just don't be afraid don't say that you're you don't have a green thumb just try it just try it um or you know you could you could talk to either one of uh, me and clayton and and we have experience yeah. we can help you out uh, get you on, get you on your, on your and, 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 and to that point, thank you very much there, Noah. Um, uh, both of these, uh, good gentlemen are, gave us their sites to put into the show notes here for you. So you can go follow up and, and go in directly to them. Uh, if you're in South Florida, uh, Noah's, uh, farming, uh, community here, you can, he's, uh, taking in for the new season. It has been great. I want to thank you guys both very much for being here with us today. Um, Clayton and Noah, this, this we already went through a whole hour. <laughs> uh, it's it's just so much fun. Let me let me throw up our final uh, slide here. If there is anything you have to follow up with our guests today, Creation Station at Broward.org comes right to me, or take a look in the show notes. We'll see everybody next month. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>